All right, Jeb, uh, Flying Shark, what the heck? Flying Shark. Flying Shark, what's the well, deal? Well, one of the hot toys this, this last Christmas season, I, as I understand it, was this helium-filled inflated inflatable shark. All right, I know. Yeah, okay, go ahead. It had um, some infrared-controlled, very short-range, indoor-use only mm-hmm. kind of toy. And they, it comes in a box, um, deflated, and you assemble it. You get some helium from a party store, a little small tank of helium. You inflate this thing, and it'll roam around your house. It's powered, you know, a rechargeable battery or something like that, and a propeller. Um, so apparently, someone who owns one of these kind of took the uh, rule against doing it only inside as a kind of a guideline and violated the guideline. Yeah. <laughs> and what happened? When, when last seen. A, uh, an airline pilot in Australia <laughs> reported a flying shark. No, no, no. This is, you know, this is, somebody made this up. No, uh, this is, <laughs> i got to find the tab. Uh, here we go. Um, AMH.com. Airline pilot startled by flying shark is the headline. Dateline January 4, 2012. Okay. Where is Arthur Monzarelli? I'm you sorry. I said Australia. My apologies to all Australians. Uh, this was in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah, okay. Or, or apologies to New Zealanders, as the case may be. Right? Um, let's see. A spokeswoman for air traffic control company Airways, Monica Davis, said a pilot had reported the shark and its location about nine kilometers from the airport at 2 p.m. on December 26. Obviously, someone got one of these for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and forgot about that little guideline about doing it only indoors. So, you know, I don't know what altitude. The, the story never said what altitude. So it's just floating there. And <laughs> but, what, but, but wait a minute. The airliner must have been going so fast that this thing zoomed by the airliner. I mean, did they really? Maybe it's a hoax. I don't know. Maybe it's a PR stunt. I don't know. David, what were you going to say? Man, I. Uh, that's just... Arthur Fonzarelli needs to be in on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I think this is a yeah, there's, yeah, there's a pun in there someplace. I don't know what it is. All right, so so we, uh, so you, what you're saying is we need to be careful with the quadcopter. If we have well, no, the quadcopter isn't going to wander away in that particular no, way. No, yeah. even if it did. Oh. Um, Here's a I got a little helicopter here. Yeah, little, uh, you know, remote control jobby do uh, sitting in the palm of my hand. Yeah. Uh, and it says very clearly on the box, indoor use only. Well, that's that's the beauty of this thing with the shark. You know, the battery on it probably gave out an hour earlier, and it just it just keeps floating around because it's you know lighter than air, as it were. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it, it's probably still up for all we know. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, if these guys are any good at all at their quality control and can build a decent envelope, that thing's still there. You think so? It's like those. Well, I don't know. They keep rising, like when they the weather balloons. They they rise until right. they expand like, so much they burst, that they burst. Right. They burst. So that's. I guess that's not what happened here. So the so, flying shark, huh? Startled by the flying shark. But, but, I, but I was uh, as light as that has to be. I've got this image in my mind of the 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 the, the happy user taking it out the door, turning it on, turning it loose, and going no. Wait, <laughs> well, and that being the end of it, I, I have the vision of the opening of uh, of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind when they're in the air traffic control uh, room, and 
this airliner is reporting uh, a lighted object closing on him, yeah. and no one sees it on radar. And well, they do see it on radar, but no one knows who or what it was, and it's performing well in advance of any civilian airliners. And um, controller says, "Sir, do you do you wish to make a report?" <laughs> <laughs> And the guy says, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I wonder, I, I wonder yeah. what, what it was on, on, with this guy, this airline pilot. I said, yeah, I'm going to key the mic, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to tell ATC I saw a flying shark. <laughs> well, you guys have certainly seen, you know, flown past a, a balloon that escaped or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They go by fast, though. I mean, you know. But you know it's a balloon. You can see the circular shape. Yeah. Maybe this guy was good. Maybe he's flying a slow airplane. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so he saw a flying shark. Well, now, speaking of things getting loose in the air, um, so here's I've a, got st- a quick question, Jack. Oh, go ahead, David. Do you think that the, the authorities would have taken it e- even more weirdly if it had been the clownfish instead of the shark? Approach, yeah, uh, I'd models. like to report a clownfish that just went by. <laughs> yeah, they might have been a little more reluctant to report that one, I guess, huh? Um, so speaking of things wandering around in the, in the sky, um, here's a story that I got from the uh, – this is actually not an aviation blog. This is a technology blog called scripting.com. But uh, 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 Dave Weiner over there talks about Facebook drones in the sky. Uh, drones, of course, are the big, big deal. We're going to talk about drones a little bit later in the episode, I think. But uh, um, he's talking about uh, – I don't know whether – I'm trying to figure out here whether he's actually seen reports or if he's just speculating – um, but technology is there. Yeah, but they're talking now about, you know, or somebody's speculating or even talking about the fact that Facebook might start using drones um, to enhance their mapping products um, and possibly even provide real-time imaging um, into Google Maps and Google Earth, you know. Now, see, there's part of me that says, that's really cool. And another part of me that says, no, no. It's really cool if you're the guy who gets to control the joystick. That's right, yeah. Where did we hear that just recently? Someone was saying a similar kind of attitude. So, I don't know. It's uh, Drones are a big deal. They're, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about drones in a few minutes, so maybe we'll come back to this. But uh, right. You remember the scene in the search for, uh, or the hunt for Red October when yeah. uh, Soviet, uh, the Soviet attache is talking to the American defense secretary and said, you lost a what? <laughs> yeah, that's probably, well, that's happened already, of course. You and, know? Then, and then later, in the, towards the end of the movie, he's like, you lost another one? <laughs> <laughs> just one of these things gets loose and jumps the shark that just went by the airplane in New Zealand, except this time it takes a bite out of the airplane. The attitude toward these things, I think, is a little bit. Well, like, there's a. Oh well, you know they 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 fly them they fly them in Afghanistan. There's yeah. a, there was an image floating around the internet a year or two ago, maybe longer, uh, of a couple of frogmen hanging off the skids of a British military paramilitary helicopter, and some <sighs> someone had photoshopped. They're, they're about thirty feet over the water, and someone had photoshopped a shark coming out of the water at them. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like, you know, I can has cheeseburger or some, some, oh, some oh, oh, I think I, yeah, okay, I think I've seen this image, right, yeah. This shark was jumping up jumping out of the water, out of water. At, their, at, their fin, at their fins, uh-huh. right, yeah, right, yeah. So, well, you know what? The air is getting full of all kinds of strange things these days. Uh, I don't know whether, how that's a segue, but I'm going to do this anyways. Welcome, what folks, if, to What episode. if that shark was a drone? 
Maybe the, well, I mean, strictly speaking, the shark was a drone. Strictly speaking, the shark was a drone. Uh, it was a drone that had escaped, as they are wont to do. Well, it was an autonomous drone. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, not all drones are autonomous. Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. It was. It had. It. It had become self-aware and done its Skynet thing, and it was wandering around, um, terrorizing airliners that it's, passed it's, by. It's the line from uh, Jurassic Park. Nature wants to be free, or Mother Nature yeah. will find a way. Yeah, and you know what the you know what the first officer said to the pilot, to the captain of this New Zealand airliner. The first officer looks at his captain and says, "Sir, we're going to need a bigger airplane." Boom. <laughs> Welcome, folks. <laughs> no, he's going to say, "I'm glad I had the chicken." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks. Episode 268 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders now. does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear away. turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on, uh, what's today? Thursday, January 12th, 2012. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are my two good friends. Uh, Dave Higgins out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Just, we got snow yesterday. We got sunshine today. We haven't seen the high side of freezing in about 24 hours. It's all good. I'm sorry. These, which of these things doesn't belong with the other? Uh, it's just uh, you'll, people will understand better in a moment why why I'm I'm, I'm particularly of multiple minds on this particular subject. Uh, but uh, is everything else is okay, David. You haven't been flying recently. Whatever became of your uh, your uh, tail dragger thing you were doing with your buddy in the what Taylorcraft, I think. Yeah, T Craft, and uh, we uh, we talked to one another uh, about a week and a half ago about it, and agreed that we should call one another and start doing something about it. He got. Busy, got out of town, the holidays hit. Uh, yeah, them holidays will do it to you. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not sure he's quite of a mood to hand prop anything right now either. Not until he gets on the high side. Okay. Of All again. right. Later on, I'm going to ask you to explain uh, that. I'd like to know how old this gentleman is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh? And also here in the virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing today, Jeb? I'm doing all right. Uh, fairly productive week so far. Uh, looking for a good chat this evening and mm -hmm. uh, uh, happy to do it with some close friends. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and this week I am coming from you right across the table somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. I am visiting Jeb down here at, at Hidden River, visiting the, uh, let's see, what did we call it last time? The, the Hidden River Home uh, for Wayward Aviators is um, what it basically is from time and, to time. And Lonely Hearts Club. And Lonely Hearts Club, that's right. Um, so uh, I've been here for about 24 hours now. Arrived yesterday after one of my uh, my uh, uh, legendary long drives. And uh, yeah, you're insane, man! You, you really, really, really need to buy an airplane. <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, but now I'm here, and I'm really glad I'm here. And it was a beautiful day here in Florida today. My goodness, and and it was, and and the beauty of the day here in Florida was amplified by the fact that they are having the first serious snow back up in New Hampshire right now, like as we speak. So 
I'm so happy to be here. This is going to be great. I'm down here for uh, for to do some work on some projects with Jeb, and we're going to uh, Sebring to the LSA show, and uh, and we're going to hang out and uh, and uh, you know do airplane stuff and motorcycle oh, and, stuff. And, maybe you know, to all of our friends in Fairbanks, Alaska. Here you had shovels come in. Thank better yeah. shovels. So yeah, good for you guys. Uh, yeah, you know I've, I've heard that the ground before July. I've heard some of those stories. I'll tell you, when the people in Alaska say there's a lot of snow, you got to take that seriously. I mean, apparently, it's like, you know, so it's a crazy weather out there. Anyways, what's going on here? Um, let's see now. This first story on the list um, came to us by way of a buddy of mine uh, who uh, sent me. I haven't looked at this in a couple of days, so let me just refresh my memory here. Crank break number three, third time's a charm. Um, so it's basically an off-field landing of the story, uh, of the week story, um, where uh, this gentleman on his webpage uh, tells a fairly elaborate story of, uh, of his engine failure on takeoff, um, just barely high enough that he was made, able to make it into a, a clear field. Um, and, and that certainly is very interesting, and we congratulate him for successfully getting on the ground. But the part that really struck me was uh, the aftermath and a lot of photos he's got here. He's got a picture of the uh, crankshaft that uh, literally just broke. I mean, is this? Boy. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. And uh, I just thought this was pretty interesting, that, that uh, a crankshaft that looks in otherwise decent condition just plain broke in two. And the casting part, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. That'll ruin your day. Yeah, yeah. Now you guys who know this stuff better than I do, some of these are close-up pictures of the of the severed end or the broken end, and and there are all these interesting marks and lines on the on the end. Does that tell you anything, or is that just normal? It would tell us uh, a skilled metallurgist something. Yeah, it doesn't tell me anything. It it looks like some crystallization, but I'm not a metallurgist, and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> So it, it looks it looks pretty foobar. How's that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, and apparently this is not the first time he's had an off field landing. What um, kind of engine was this? Uh, let's see now. Oh, you know what? I think it might have been a Corvair engine actually. Um, my the friend who sent this my way, uh, uh, Mark A of Barrington, New Hampshire. By the way, uh, hi, Mark. Is a uh, a big Corvair restoration fan, and I think that's one of the things that caught his attention here. Um, Huh. So, uh, um, and the what's the aircraft involved here? It's is a home built something. Yeah, um, uh, it's a low wing, um, uh, two seat side by side. It looks like it's two seat side by side. It might be a single seater. Yeah, David, do you recognize it? Do you see that K- picture? What is it? A KR? Is it, yeah, that could be. That could be. It's not an RV. Yeah. Oh no, it's actually in the text. It calls it a KR. Okay. I'm not familiar with a KR. What's a KR? Uh, that's a Jiminy 60s, 70s generation uh, home built design. With a KR and a KR2. Kind of uh, straightforward, simple. Man, I haven't seen one in ages. Yeah, this this is a Corvair. Uh, Corvair engine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is, this. Few people would deny that a Corvair crank isn't going to have the reserve safety factor. Da, 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 da. Um, so. Yeah. The first paragraph of this, and a fairly long um, uh, description by him of the whole situation, the, uh, the, the engine failure, the landing, and then the, the postscript, you know, the, the engine tear down. The first paragraph, though, is 
I don't know. I can't quite decide what I think about this first paragraph. It's a little bit fatalistic. Let me just read the first paragraph to you. He says, first off, let me just say that I've always expected that I'll roll my plane into a ball someday, perhaps reducing it into a pile of sticks, but that I'd walk away from the mess with a few bruises or maybe a broken bone or two. Given that scenario, I don't kid myself about flying or that it'll never happen to me. When I go flying, I leave my car in the hangar with the key in the ignition just in case somebody wants to drive it when I'm gone. I try to keep my affairs in order, and I have made uh, effort the last few years to teach my fam- the family where things are and how they work just in case I don't come back. Flying is that important to me. So that's kind of an odd point of view. It well, is. It's, it's a little more, yeah, it's a, it's a little more, uh, I don't want to use the word extreme, but... Uh, more responsible than a lot of us most of the time. If, if taking care of his family post well, him is high on his priority list. I would submit it's it's a floor wax and a dessert topping. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think if you if you exercise a little judgment, you can have both the fun of flying and a long time doing it. Old bold pilots, right? Yeah. And I got to admit, I've never seen a crank break. Through, uh, through the uh, casting like that. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what struck me. I've seen it at bosses. I've seen it at flanges, um, uh, things like that. Why not at the casting? Sure, okay. But to me, that was a flawed casting of some kind. Although a curious part about it, though, too, it looks to be about midway on the crankshaft. I can't tell. It looks like a four-cylinder engine. Let's see. I don't know. Well, there's, there's, there's a, it's a I only two, see, I only see main journals. And yeah, I only see four rod bosses. So, it could be. Uh, what little I know about Corvairs from my friends showing me, showing them off to me is, I, they they have these flat invert uh, uh, engines. They're flat fours, you know. So they're right. they're neither V's nor straights. Well, they're no, like no. Two, they're like two cylinders each heading in separate directions right. sideways. It's just right, a lateral. simple flat four air cooled yeah. engine. Okay. Yeah. Volkswagens, Porsches. Right. Uh, Corvairs, uh, Continental, Lycoming, they all make flat four uh, engines. But um, I don't know. Um, it, well, this looks like a two journals and only two throws for the four cylinders. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I heard just recently about a, a local um, uh, Piper Sport, the uh, LSA version of the Piper. Um, had had an engine failure issue with its Rotax within the last week to ten days. Um, a pilot and uh, a passenger were you know they landed on a in a wide area next to a, um, a model uh, model airplane field actually uh, southwest of southeast of Sarasota and um, did a little bit of damage to the airplane on a rollout but otherwise you know walked out and, and the airplane will fly again. Uh, but it was, you know, all of a sudden, the engine was, one, one moment the engine was fine, the other moment it wasn't. I, I've got a buddy whose airplane engine sucked a valve once, who provided a great deal of entertainment for a few minutes. Well, and, and Amy, I think, has a story about crankshaft failures. Uh-huh. Yeah, she does, yeah. Yeah. And what was the nature of your engine failure, Jeb? It wasn't a crankshaft. Yeah. Uh, it was a cylinder. Um, oh, okay. Cracked cylinder and and uh, pieces of the valve. It was an intake valve, mm-hmm. and pieces of the valve got sucked into the intake and were kind of bouncing around. There's a lot of air moving inside the intake on an IO520 when you're at altitude, mm-hmm. 
and he somehow got wedged in there because some pieces were like serving as flapper valves and uh, just wreaking all kinds of havoc. I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would imagine there's a big, a big element of luck in there that things don't jam up in a particular way to cause it to seize. Well, I or... had still had three fines. I had. I had five great cylinders. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't get air in the three of them. <laughs> so, so it was it was kind of well. Let's let's land and sort this out. Yeah, now. really. Yeah, but uh, it's like one one cylinder sucked. Well, no, three cylinders didn't suck. Uh, that was you had Lee and Jerry with you on that. I had that. Lee it, and Jerry with me for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of suck, bang, blow <laughs> going on in the cockpit um, as well as under the cowling. So, um, yeah, I, well, okay, I don't know about that. <laughs> shot, shot peen the inside of that cylinder. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, here's another story about drones. I'm skipping ahead here. Um, uh-huh. um, You're going to drone along? I, no, well, yeah, no. This isn't this is anything but droning. I think this is a very interesting story. Um, so we've been talk. We'd like to talk about drones on the podcast, and we kind of sometimes talk seriously and sometimes less than seriously. But I, I think underlying it all, in my mind, anyways, has been been a, 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 a nervousness, a concern about the arrival of drones in the U.S. national airspace, and. Uh, we keep hearing more and more stories about how they're being um, given, you know, approval to fly on one mission or another here in the United States. But apparently, the the power, the the uh, the media and other organizations, when they've tried to get details about the all these missions, have been uh, been turned down. And so, as a result, a a digital uh, civil liberties group called the Electronic Frontier Foundation um, has. Uh, Actually filed suit. Uh, they 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 had gone through all the normal paths. They uh, submitted Freedom of Information Act requests. They they simply want a list. Apparently, they want information about the so-called 285 certifications covering 85 different users um, that reportedly have been uh, allowed to use drones in the airspace. And they went through all the normal Freedom of Information Act stuff and requests and whatnot, and and were were. Apparently, just plain ignored. They just were not answered. Rebuffed would be yeah. So now they've then they've moved to the step of actually filing a lawsuit, um, demanding that the Department of Transportation and the FAA um, release the information. The first paragraph from this story from uh, this is from the uh, TPM uh, uh, TalkingPointsMemo.com website uh, in a story dated January 11. Uh, let's see if I'm reading this right. Yesterday. Yesterday. Um, a digital rights and civil liberties group has filed a lawsuit against the Department of Transportation and the Federal Aviation Administration demanding that they release information on who is authorized to operate drones within the United States. On Tuesday, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit based in uh, San Francisco, filed suit against the Department of Transportation, quote, demanding data on certifications and authorizations the agency has issued for the operation of unmanned aircraft, also known as drones, end quote. So I think, I think that's a capital idea. Yeah. I, I think I think it would be really I'm, I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm rather disappointed, and, and it tells me something, that the FAA DOT is withholding that information. Yeah, just the fact that they're not revealing it is, not, is not telling. Respo- not responding yeah. to this. And, and this is, you know, FOIA requests are, are to be taken seriously. And all, all the all the times I've made one. But not if protecting the homeland is involved. Well, you don't got to do anything legal if you're protecting the homeland. That's a, that covers all kinds of sins, excuse me, techno, you know, strategies. 
I don't disagree with you, not in the least. Um, it's a very different experience to be actually sitting across the table and see Jeb's expressions. When we, <laughs> you, you, you really wish you could have seen that one. <laughs> um, so what do we know? We know they're, we know they're, they're flying drones over the border, um, the Mexican border, presumably, probably not the Canadian border, to, uh, to uh, stop illegal, immigrant, illegal immigration. Uh, we had that notable story in what North Dakota, South Dakota, one of the Dakotas, one of the Dakotas, um, where they they borrowed a a drone right. in in order nearby Air Force Base. Not everyone just happens to have an Air Force Base I know. in their pocket and or backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we want some good pictures of your of like your you know your your land out here, we should call uh, what's the local Air Force uh, uh, McDill. Yeah, there we go. You yeah. know, hey guys. Well, there's a there's a chopper. Um, that goes just south of here, I don't know, up the river, beside the river, whatever, uh, on a regular basis, uh, cruising by about, you know, 800, 900 feet. Um, it's a um, MBB type. I, I don't remember the designation. I think it's an EMS chopper. I'm not sure. But, um, uh, you know, same thing applies. Yeah. But, uh, David, do you have any perspective on this? Do you have any inside information on uh, the whole drone thing in the, in the national airspace? Well, I'm beginning to get suspicious of a hummingbird flying around here in these freezing temperatures. Well, you should, actually, because th- this is yeah. the story I alluded to earlier that, uh, you know, and I mean, not only do people think that Google's going to start flying drones, but uh, I, I, I saw a story someplace that suggested that the, the Occupy people, you know, the, 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 this big popular movement that's happening here in the U.S., um, may well uh, be using some, some uh, you know, uh, off over the counter you know drones to for what purpose for for uh, doing photography and and More just power kind of, to them. you know a, keep making a record of what they're doing one and, of the things in this story well, that I, I i just i don't know enough about the technology and the regulations to to know if this is a factor here but they're talking the EFF uh, petition or, or lawsuit involves um Operation of unmanned aircraft above 400 feet, mm-hmm. implying to me that below 400 feet, there a is no regulation, b no record, c you could pretty much get away with anything you want. Well, maybe, and, and I, don't, I don't know if that's yeah. in fact the case. David, that go ahead. That cap is there for the that cap is there for the RC model for the RC people, right? That's what I'm thinking. Long for years doing right. nothing harmful Which, to anybody except maybe point? when they do aerobatics over a runway. What's your point? Uh, it's going to be RC regulated anyway. The, the whole thing comes down to this in my mind. It's a tool. It's a tool that's got some positive potential. It's a tool that could do some good things for humanity and civilization. And like every one of those tools that we've ever had before, it's got the potential for abuse. It's got the potential for unintended consequences. And those will all happen because people out there just can't leave good things alone. Somebody's going to want to do something with it that we don't like. Well, I, I just want my own. Yeah, I know. It's like you said a little while ago. Just as long as I can control the stick. Well, you, we're talking about this. We're, this we're, we're talking about this relative to the gate. The gate. That's what it was. The gate video. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, well, there's, there's whole been this story. whole little industry grow up around uh, low-cost aerial photography. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've consulted with a couple of friends of mine that were looking to expand their photo business out of the studio. That, but these weren't guys that were going to go out and get a pilot's license and buy an airplane and and do aerial photography in the traditional sense. They wanted to be able to shoot, for example, 
the entrance of a skyscraper from about 30 feet or 40 feet above something that you couldn't necessarily get a ladder for. And they're buying these little, uh, these little uh, aerostats that they can haul up and tether and point the camera and get remote view. And then it, they evolved into radio-controlled helicopters. Uh, radio-controlled helicopters floating 35-millimeter format digital cameras that can do HD video have right. become a low-cost way to do Hollywood movies now. Uh, you know, you can't tell the difference what, what it was, but it can go cruising right down over the scene uh, with some guy standing right there on the ground doing it, uh, you know, a little tool that's six or seven grand instead of spending six or seven grand a day just to put a pilot in the airplane and a cinematographer and all that in the air. So yeah. this is moving out beyond that stuff, though, to yeah. where it's they're going to be flying over our neighborhoods, over our heads. Eventually, somebody's going to get in the path of something. Yeah, and I, I agree. The genie's out of the bag here, so to speak. Um, it's, uh, you know, we got to figure out how to live with this stuff, not try and stop it. But 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 the the EFF getting this list from the feds is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great well, start. Accountability never heard anything. Yeah, no, exactly. Except the people that resist accountability because they don't want to be held accountable, and yeah. I find that unaccountable, uh, unacceptable. A little chlorine in the pool never hurt a thing. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not sure if that's a good metaphor for accountability, but all right. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> um, off-field landing of the week. we got like three off-field landings of the week here. I, I, don't, I guess maybe we'll try and do all three of them. What the heck? Uh, but I'm going to do them in the wrong order here. I'm going to I'm gonna do the first one first that says um, off-field landing of the week candidate. It's the third of the three. All right? So, and, and I'm going to let Jeb do it because – so Jeb says read the last – the quote here, the, the pull quote that Jeb pulled out is a replica World War II-era Chinese trainer, single-engine airplane, made an emergency landing on the beach – about 300 yards from a Holiday Inn hotel in Surfside Beach on Thursday. Um, and then Jeb's note is, read the last sentence. Jeb, what's the last sentence? Uh, let, me, let me find this. I don't, this has been a long time. I don't remember. FAA officials are on their way from the Columbia office to investigate the accident. Okay, there's two, two problems here. One, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not an accident. No. Two, two... What's to be investigated? Unless there's a FAR violation, which there probably isn't, what's the FAA going to investigate? And why are they sending two guys from the state capitol down to the beach? And and why are they carrying towels and sunscreen? I, I don't understand that part. <laughs> yeah. I guess they're trying to blend. You know, uh, sometimes, now. Yeah. sometimes work's a real beach. I mean, you, you well, you know. The, uh, let's see now. The local police uh, said the plane's pilot declared an emergency with the engine failure shortly after taking off from Myrtle Beach International Airport's general aviation facility. The plane attempted to return to the airport but could not make it. Uh, there are no apparent injuries. Um, I don't know what that means. There's no apparent injuries, but whiplash. You know, it shows up a well, couple days later. Pride, there's an injured power premiums. Yeah, right. Um, it's not clear how many passengers were on board the airplane. Well, there's only two seats, so um, the plane is registered the choices to are one or two. One or two. Well, the choices are none or one. I guess is what the plane is registered. Uh, it's registered to something called Pentagon of Myrtle Beach Incorporated. 
according to the FAA database. The owner's address is listed as, here's an address uh, in Myrtle Beach. Um, that address happens to be the address of one da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, According to a Nexus database. Well, somebody just had uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> just padding this piece out a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah. They must have had a quota you know, or something. I know. But then, then the next paragraph is one sentence. It says, it is not clear whether so-and-so was aboard the airplane. Okay, well, maybe you could say that, you know, it, it, it's perfectly clear that he wasn't aboard the airplane. Or you could just simply say, you don't know. Yeah, right. Right. Plane was manufactured in 1987, is approved for exhibition operations, whatever that is, uh, according to the FAA. Uh, That's a CJ-6. It's a um, a Chinese, or I guess really Russian, design. It was designed from the Yak, and and, uh, Chinese put tricycle gear on it. It's the same basic airplane as the Yak-9, I think it is. Okay, engine engine hiccup. Put it down on a beach. Yeah, what's the problem? Looks good. I mean, if this yeah. if this is a picture of it after the landing, then yeah, it looks well, perfectly fine to me. There yeah. appears to be surf in the background, so I would guess that this is a, a post uh, in, yeah post event. Well, let's see. It does say landing on a beach about three hundred yards from a Holiday Inn hotel that's Surfside Beach. So uh-huh. I, I know the beach. I've been there. Shows up there a whole lot. It's a great place to land an airplane if you're in, if you need to. Yeah, obviously, and they may have had room at Holiday Inn for it. That's true. He could have just you know checked right in. Yeah. No, the joke I was working on was something. Let's see, it would be something along the lines of you know uh, I, I I well I don't know Bond James Bond. <laughs> no no no. It was going to be you know I don't something or other, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn or something like that. All right, yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, well, congratulations to whoever was flying this airplane. Well, they printed his name. His name's irrelevant. Yeah. And it's, and it's unpronounceable, so. Yeah. Wait a minute. Where? You see his name here someplace? Yeah, it's in the big paragraph towards the bottom. Well, that's the owner. We don't necessarily know that that's the, that's the pilot. Well, no, we don't know that at all. Yeah, right. That's the name that's in the story. No, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but whoever was flying the airplane, congratulations. Good job. Get on the ground safely. That's, that's good. Um, then we've got our second off-field landing of the week, uh, a CA pilot. This is from a story on a web page that's really ugly. It's the yourconroenews.com, powered by the Courier of Montgomery County, wherever that is. The courier of Montgomery Possibly Texas, because there's a bunch of Houston ads on this. Okay, uh, headline is, CAP pilot showed flight skills during powerless emergency landing. A young Civil Air Patrol pilot forced to make an emergency landing near downtown Conroe Tuesday night after losing power in her airplane is being praised for her quick thinking and safe landing to avert a major disaster. 22 years old. Yeah, so this young woman, uh, apparently a uh, CAP um, second lieutenant, uh, Sarah Chantal Rovner, um, a member of the Thunderbird Composite Squadron in Houston, was on final approach to Lone Star Executive Airport around 9.30 p.m. when the single-engine Cessna developed mechanical problems, forcing the emergency landing on Davis Street. So, uh, sounds good. Uh, you know, this is, um, there were quotes in here from, from other aviation people who are saying landing on the road isn't the best choice, you know, your preferred choice, but it works. And uh, so... Is, yeah, it's just kind of your worst nightmare, single yeah. engine, engine failure at night. Now, this one, the airplane did get a little banged up, We see, or at least according yeah. to this picture. We see a picture with the right wing kind of broken I don't see yeah, the top, I, at the top. 
never seen one delivered looking like that to begin with. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's that does look be, like. I think that's yeah, supposed to be like, mounted a little bit higher up. Yeah, well, but, but hey, you know, you know, the 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 boomerang has asymmetrical wing, you know, placements. So maybe that's. Well, At Lieutenant, wait, wait, way to go! Uh, yeah, young lady been flying seven months and had about a hundred hours. Uh, you just yeah. improved your skill level and your experience level by a factor of about ten. Yeah. So congratulations to uh, to the uh, second lieutenant. That's that's terrific. And then finally, and this is the one of the more dramatic off field landings of the week that we've ever uh, talked about. I think here. Um, this is a, a, a YouTube video of a, a piece of 16-millimeter film that apparently had been in somebody's closet for the better part of 50 years. It is, um, uh, according to the story, it's the 1945 ditching of a B-29 out in, I believe, the Pacific. And uh, a sailor or some sort of crew member um, pointed his camera at the at the airplane, and we actually see it um, approaching and then finally uh, hit, touching on the water. It's a pretty dramatic video. Um, it's in color too. It's in color. It's a little it's a little far off in the distance, but you still can get the flavor of it. Um, and, and this airplane, man, it, although it. And I've never really been trained exactly in ditching, but it seems to me he did the right thing. He got the nose high, t- tail touchdown first, and but even having done it that yeah, way, this, this airplane came to a stop airplane. real fast. He stalled that airplane awfully high off the water. You think so? Yeah. Well, apparently yeah, everybody he would have drug he would have drugged the tail in uh, first thing, and the airplane would have slowed down very quickly. Then the wing would have you know started to catch water. But if you back it up to, oh, where were we here? Uh, about 28 seconds. Oh, I'm sorry. Replay that, David. I'm not touching this. Yeah, I know. We're not. <laughs> 28, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. It just, at 25 seconds, it just drops to the water and hits the whole damn thing at once. Right, right. That's indicative of it stalled just, yeah. just that high above the water. Uh, that's why so little of it showing above the water after the splash subsides. Yeah. Now, and apparently the entire crew was recovered. Um, I, I guess the, the background story here is that they realized they were having troubles, and so they called for help, and there was a uh, uh, some sort of uh, military vessel nearby. I'm not sure if it was Navy or... Or what? But uh, and so they coordinated, and the airplane flew. Oh, I know what it was. This is a, this was a bombing mission into uh, Japan. Japan during the war, and uh, these were such long runs that they were um, they were fueled to just barely make it. And this guy had to do something, you know, maneuver or whatever, and so he wasn't going to have enough fuel to make it back to the base. So he coordinated with this naval ship to uh, to go off and ditch uh, near the ship. And that's why we uh, got, got warning of this happening, and they, they shot uh, the film of it. Um, all, everybody on board was recovered. There were some injuries, uh, most notably perhaps is that the uh, the uh, commander of the aircraft uh, broke his back apparently in the uh, in the in the you know sudden stop in the in the ditching. Um, but uh, um, and then yeah, this that film drop, that that drop onto the water, yeah, uh, uh, would be hell on the spine. Yeah, so. Uh, 
But everybody was recovered, and it was all good, and then this film disappeared. I mean, not disappeared. I guess nobody really cared that it existed for a long time, and it was in somebody's closet, and then uh, it was recently found. And uh, but really amazing. <laughs> Here's to me the interesting thing here is that as as cool as the video is, the text that goes with it, the story describing the whole situation is even more riveting, if you ask me. And, and I urge people to uh, to expand the uh, description uh, under this YouTube video and read all of that because that's really really uh, fascinating to read about this whole this whole uh, uh, incident. So uh, I'm looking for the captain's name here. I believe it's McCaskill. Uh, but uh, let's see, the pilot's son is named Mike McCaskill. So anyways, um, the, congratulations to the crew of this, uh, this B-29 for uh, doing a great job. Uh, and, and, of course, for their service during, during World War II. But, uh, um, Sorry we're so late getting to this. Yeah, I know. Well, we would, have, we would have covered this back in 46 if they had put the uh, video on YouTube back then. You know? But uh, they didn't put it on YouTube until 2012. So we work with what we've got to work with. Uh, this is terrific. Congratulations. And everybody should check out this video. Very cool video and read the story underneath. What's well, next? Here? There's some footage of one landing off the island of Tinian uh, that's been shown many times in war movies and documentaries and all that. Uh, it, B-29 wasn't the smoothest entry into service of uh, any war plane we've had. and. It wasn't uncommon for them to send off 55 or 60 of them, have 25% of them not even get away from the island or mm -hmm. ditch en route. And, uh, but if you drag the tail end of that puppy into the water first, it slows down much more gently. And that's what that the shots of the uh, ditching off Tinian show. It was probably as perfect a ditching as you'll ever see. Uh, an aircraft of any size did, mm -hmm. yeah. and keep the wheels up. It it, it, take, it took some hair to fly those airplanes in the first place. Yeah, uh, man. It took it took a little bit more hair to stall it out over the ocean like that. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Wasn't your dad involved with B twenty nines somehow? B twenty nines. No, he was he was in the Marine Corps. He was an aviation squadron. Uh, he was an armorer on dive bombers. Hmm. Uh, what's next here? Um, we've been accumulating this list for a few weeks, um, and so over the span of a couple of weeks, we've accumulated a whole bunch of uh, Dave's patented uh, frugal airplanes here. Yeah, nice work on this, by the way, Dave. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, one of David, you want to pick one and talk about it a little bit? I mean, maybe we'll get to all of them, but pick the best one here. What's... Uh well, I'm not sure there's a best one, so I'm going to try to roll this in, as fast as I can in 30 seconds. Okay. Well, no, no. This is good stuff. So, uh, you know, take oh, okay. your time. Well, we're looking at a 71 Piper Cherokee with 160 horse, 18 grand, uh, 68 Piper Arrow with a little, little time on the engine, but it's it's an 0360 Lycoming, uh, 25 grand if, if the engine's not making metal good or using oil and getting good compression, who cares? Uh, this one kind of jumped out at me though. A 1967 Aero Commander 100, which was a little bit like a, a, a bulked up 172, uh, made by the same folks that made the Aero Commander, the, the Shrike Commander, and, and, and that family of airplanes. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 grand, uh, fly it away. And my sentimental favorite of the week. A 1983 C model 
Weed Hopper Ultralight. Oh, complete okay. with the original Chodia single cylinder tractor power plant. Ran on four Duracells. <laughs> yeah, okay. Seriously, the ignition engine? system used four Duracells as a really? power source. Yeah. Can, um, you, can you still get parts for that engine? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's quite a little network of uh, of uh, sites where you can get plans, you can get engine support, you can get tech manuals and uh, assembly manuals. Uh, you can get the plans to scratch build the airframe for free. Uh, this is a two-axis control parasol wing tractor tricycle gear airplane uh, where you sit about, I don't know, 10 inches off the ground maybe. Uh, nose, wheel, nose wheel steering works like a tricycle steering. Mm-hmm. You, the left foot goes forward and it turns right, or you pull the handlebar to the right. Well, you do that with your feet. Uh, an elevator and a rudder. No spoilers, no ailerons, no roll control. It uses uh, roll yaw coupling. That's available because of the nice dihedral that John Chodia built into the airplane. And believe it or not, 1983, this airplane sold new for about 2,500 bucks. Wow. What's the the trade-off when you're flying an airplane with that sort of control configuration? Um, uh, the, the biggest the biggest trade-off is going to be in in stiff crosswind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest so what is it lands so slowly and in such a short distance that you can just about put it down crosswise on the runway at Hidden River if you had a 30-degree cross, uh, yeah. 30 mile an hour cross. It would basically land not moving forward. Yeah. Is an aircraft like this likely to have you know survived the years well? I mean, do they wear out? Do they... The biggest uh, issue would be you'd want to make sure that the nuts and bolts, that uh, this is a strut-braced airplane, no wires. So you want to make sure that there's no corrosion in the tubes or around the fittings, that the nuts and bolts that hold it all together are good. Uh, The sail is a Dacron sail, and in 30 years, I would suspect it would need to be replaced at least once, probably twice. Now, when you say sail, the rest of us would call it the wing? Well, it's the stuff that covers all the flying surfaces, the wings, the tail, I see. Uh, okay. the little uh, dorsal fin or ventral fin in the back that gives it more lateral uh, stability or more linear stability when you're cruising. It's just a really easy airplane to fly. Yeah. It probably goes all of 55 miles an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, not exactly a go someplace, a go places airplane, you know, or at least not a cross country airplane. I don't know. Is that true? Uh,. Well, that that that's going to have to be one of those relatively speaking things. If I, I was going to how spend much today, time do you have? Yeah. If I was going to spend a day flying around in a weed hopper, I would say, okay, which way is upwind, and spend my first two hours crosswind, and then crosswind some more, and then downwind to come home. Uh, I did weed hopper and drifter and quicksilver flying like that back in the day when I did this a lot, the ultralights a lot. Uh, we'd cover 100, 110, 115 miles and never get more than 50 miles from where we started. Mm-hmm. What's what's the latest on, on um, pilot licensing and training requirements to fly an airplane like that? That's a Part 103 airplane. 
which means that there is no license required, no medical required. Uh, the FAA doesn't dictate a training standard or lay out what you should know, uh, except to say you should be taught how to fly this by somebody that knows how to fly it and understand the airspace rules that you live with under Part 103. Uh, but that's pretty much it. And how do you learn? What's the training regimen here? It's a single-seat airplane. You're never going to get any dual. Well, there's actually a two-seat design available that oh. uh, came out after John Chodia died in the crash of a prototype of an airplane he was bringing on after the weed hopper. Uh, two seats side-by-side. Side. Uh, uh, use a common control stick uh, and a uh, common throttle. And... Uh, you get in with somebody like that, that's got to be experimental amateur built, of course. Uh, but this is a stone-cold, simple airplane. Uh, did a magazine article once uh, for Glider Rider back when ultra, uh, light sport and ultralight flying was called Glider Rider. And we built and flew a weed hopper in a day. Mm-hmm. Really? You built it and flew it in a day? Well, we didn't fly it that day. We were ready to fly that day, but we couldn't fly from the location where we put the airplane together. Mm -hmm. So we had it all photographed, uh, ready to fly. We started the engine. Uh, then we took it all apart and took it someplace else and flew it the next day. But we started with the crate, the, the cardboard boxes, and all the parts at about 7 o'clock in the morning. And about 5.30 that evening, we were running the engine. How much beer would have been involved? <laughs> it, it, it's one of those, uh, it, it, it could have come from Ikea. <laughs> okay. Easy. Yeah. No, yeah Jeb that, asked, that easy and that well illustrated. Jeb asked how much beer was involved during this day of, man, of, of assembly. Oh, sorry. Uh, none. Good answer. None. Good, Good answer. Great answer. Good answer. Uh, yeah, Jeff, no, we but, were uh, in a we were in a park uh, that had a nice background, well sheltered from the air, uh, where the light was going to be consistent all day long because the art director was photographing this whole thing as we did, as we went through it. Jeb, uh, any, any thoughts on these frugal airplanes? Um, you mentioned you thought it was a good list. Yeah, I'd be cautious of the Aero Commander One Hundred. Uh, just I don't I don't remember what engine that has in it, but just getting airframe parts is going to be yeah, I'm not so sure about. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, 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 it I, is an orphan. It was a solid airplane, uh, but it never caught on because the Skyhawk uh, was so ubiquitous. Um, but and less expensive. Yeah, the Arrow I like to know a little bit more about. You say it's a high time engine, but how's it equipped, and you know what, what's the airframe maintenance and things like that. Um, and that would go through, I think, for the Cherokee, uh, for the 140 uh, with the 160 in it. Uh, I just I just want to know a little bit more about them. Um, of the two, I'd probably opt for the Arrow, uh, just because it's faster. Oh, yeah. And most of the time, it's just you and, and maybe two people in bags, and, and an Arrow can easily handle that. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's a, it's a fairly simple, straightforward airplane, except for the landing gear system on the Arrow, the, the hydraulic power pack. Uh, holds the wheels up, but then they free fall into place, so... Well, the, the gear itself the gear is system. the gear itself is pretty solid on that airplane. Yeah, it's it's the actuating system or the power system for the actuation that's really the problem. And there have been some some well some issues with the control um, uh, 
uh, scheme, if you will, on that. Remember that's the Autoland, has the Autoland system installed, uh, stock anyway. And right, right. Um, there were a flurry of, of I want to say ADs, but I'm not sure if that's the case, regarding whether or not that system could be enabled and, and all this kind of thing. And they finally got all the kinks sorted out of it. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with the system. You just have to remember to to uh, in, in when you need the performance and you don't want the gear down and you're at a slow airspeed, you have to pin the gear up. It's got a little slider, a little cuts off the valve, and you just slide a little locking pin in place mm-hmm. and uh, disables the auto land right. system. That's all you have to remember so, to do. When you say auto land, there was some sort of device it's mechanism gear extension that, system that yeah. caused it to it, 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 lower the gear on itself based was, on certain circumstances. There was a sensor. Um, in the airspeed system, and there was another um, mast and sensor on the side of the airplane sensed prop wash. It didn't have a manifold pressure sensor. It sensed prop washes, I think. The early ones did. And um, if those two indicated a low airspeed situation, a low power and low airspeed situation, the gear would extend. It was electromechanical. Mm-hmm. It would, the valve would close, right. and the, the system would be pressurized. The gear would drop down, or depressurized, I should say, and the gear would fall, free fall into place and lock. Now, that's not the only similar system that's ever been installed on an aircraft. My Debonair has a, a, a very similar system installed on it. It's called Magic Hand. It's, I'm not making this up, but that's probably <laughs> that's okay. your time. Well, I'm writing it down. Yeah, I have absolutely. There's a slot right next to it, but it only takes 50-cent pieces. That's right. <laughs> and it, it works the same basic way. It senses airspeed, but on my airplane, the system senses the throttle shaft position. There's a micro switch, and mm-hmm. when, that, when that's, that um, uh, throttle arm is put in a certain position, that switch closes, and the system is energized and, and can, in fact, activate. Uh, I have mine just switched off. There's an on-off switch, on-off auto switch for it. Mine just, I just leave it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, it works fine. Uh, but it's not the only airplane with that kind of a feature. Are these sort of features considered basically a good thing? or, or? They're not a bad thing. They, they, um, some of them are, are, are problematic. Uh, in that their you know components might not be manufactured anymore and and they're prone to leaks and things like that. Uh, I haven't used mine. Uh, the last time I used it, it worked fine. Let's put it that way. Um, the arrow is going to be su- subject to the same kinds of, of foibles. You got to get the micro switches set right. You got to get the the valves uh, correctly configured. Sometimes it's labor intensive. Sometimes it takes a you know a maestro who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly a serviceable system, and it's been in use. Both systems have been in use for you know decades, mm-hmm. so it's not a big deal. Yeah, David, uh, Arrow still Arrow's still in Piper's product. In that's true too. That's true too. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the if you get all the support you need. Same way with the Cherokee. Yeah. A lot of the the uh, parts are still being manufactured for the beach too. So yeah, yeah. David, but, any final thoughts on these frugal airplanes before we move on? An eighteen thousand dollar airplane and about five grand for instruction in gasoline and a couple of grand to get your first year's insurance. Twenty five grand, you own an airplane, you got a pilot's license and you're insured to go places. And, and put off buying a new car for a couple of years. That's yeah. all you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons I'm down here in Florida is to attend the uh, Sebring LSA show, the uh, Sport Flying Expo. I, I, should, I should get this name right, but it's the LSA show over at Sebring Airport. Um, it's uh, next week, and uh, we are, uh, uh, Jeb and I are going to uh, have a sort of brunch uh, in the cafe uh, on Saturday morning, late morning, 11 a.m., and we would love to have anybody who's interested join us. Have uh, we decided how we're going to get there? No, we haven't. Okay, so you, what you're what you're doing is setting me up for turning the key before noon local time. Oh, well, that goes without saying. Although, you know, I cut you some slack here, all right, because when we do these brunches in, in at Nashua up in, Mass, up in New England, all right, uh, we do brunch at 10, all right, and, and when I was originally talking to you about this, I sort of hinted at 10, knowing that that might be a little bit of an issue for you. But And then when you said 11, I just said, fine, 11. No, 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 no. You, you misunderstand. Although I would prefer 11 to 10. If you're doing it at 10, it's called breakfast. Breakfast for you. Most people are, like, practically on to lunch by 10 o'clock. Anyways, we're getting together at Sebring in the uh, Terminal Building Cafe at 11 a.m. on Saturday, January 21st, and we would love for any listeners who are in the area to come on by and join us. Uh, you don't need to RSVP. Just show up, and uh, uh, we'll somehow figure out how to find enough chairs, and uh, we'll, we'll gather and drink some coffee and maybe order some pancakes and, uh, and have a good old time. So uh, looking forward to meeting a lot of people. We've already heard from Same a bunch here. of people. Same here. And uh, so that's Saturday morning, January 21st, 11 a.m. at Sebring Airport. Uh, Florida. Florida. Let's see now. Uh, so last, I think it was last episode, we talked a little bit about the progress that's being made on uh, managing to do Arena Air Races this fall. Uh, and uh, uh, David, you posted another. Uh, we made reference to the fact that there was sort of an ongoing, um, in, uh, not investigation exactly, but they're just kind of going over all the safety stuff. And um, and and now, David, what's this this item that uh, you seem to be pleased by? Well, there was a. Uh uh, a hearing by the full board of the National Transportation Safety Board uh, this past week uh, to examine the state of safety and regulation uh, for air shows and air races. And when you say air races, really the only one that you could be talking about is Reno because all the other stuff is open, running, cross-country, normal flight kind of stuff. Uh, Reno is the only closed-course spectator races in in the world that I know of now. Uh, And the consensus that came from most of the FAA people, some of the industry people, and even some of the feedback from the safety board was that Reno, as an accident specifically, really doesn't seem to have drawn up any, any problems that could be solved by changing how they handled the races. Uh, That it's being looked at more as an aberration, uh, and some feedback I got was that there may be something to look at in how aircraft are qualified for racing, but in terms of the FAA mandating that the crowd be put farther away, the course changed dramatically, they're not seeing it. The safety board seemed impressed with the safety culture that existed both Reno and in the uh, air show community uh, overall, and uh, the NTSB will do what it, what it does. They're, they'll recommend some changes. Some of them will make sense. Some of them will be questionable. Uh, but at the end, 
I don't see anything coming out of this that's going to make the uh, make a viable threat to the existence of air shows or Reno. So, yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that's the correct decision on several levels. I think one of the things that's you know we, we talked about I think in our in our episode on this, but um, one, I think one of the things that there is kind of interwoven in this story is stuff happens, and this was a fluke. Yes, yeah. this was a big fluke, and. Uh, um, there are two things, or one thing in here, I should say that uh, that struck me as interesting, and I think you know probably a good thing. Towards the bottom of the story, it talks about air bosses, um, those individuals who uh, are given control of an event and to coordinate the comings and goings during an air show. And uh, according to um, um, this guy, who obviously has somewhat of an axe to grind, his his the company he's with is called Air Boss Inc. Um, but uh, apparently that company provides or does training for uh, mm-hmm. air bosses at similar events. But according to, uh, to this gentleman, George Klein, who's president of Airboss, says there's no training in place right now f- to be an air boss. And I find that rather, uh, oh, I find that, okay, that makes some sense, but maybe there should be some training in place, okay? Uh, I I'm not aware of of air boss related a bunch of air boss related accidents. Let's put it that right. way. And we we've seen at these larger air shows, especially and at smaller ones, uh, very effective, very efficient coordination of, of of the flight. You know, there hasn't been you know other than in practice, perhaps there hasn't really been any any major collisions uh, of aircraft involved in acrobatics in an air show. So, um, although. I don't think that there's a problem with that. It's probably not a bad idea to at least, you know, set forth some some recommended guidelines or something. Well, I don't know. I I, I mean, guidelines are aren't always are usually a fine thing. Um, but I would differ that there's no training. There there, there may not be any sort of certification, certification program. Better, better word. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you. My experience as an observer, um, and I, I I've never really deeply research this, but I've been a watcher of air shows and air show operation for a long time now, and it appears to me that there is a very, very rigorous and exclusive apprenticeship program to be an air boss. Um, And that you don't just kind of say, oh, I'll do it this time. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you you stood by the guy who was the air boss for years until you got your chance to be the air boss. And uh, I don't disagree with you, especially at shows on the scale of Oshkosh, Sun and Fun, Copper State, the uh, expo up here at, at Sebring and, and other shows that are have been around and and it'll have um, uh, some planning and some organization and some management behind them but there's by the same token there's nothing preventing someone from having an air show well that is true and and there's nothing preventing you know uh, um, someone from saying all right I'm, I'm going to be the air boss for this air show yeah so I, I can certainly see uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think uh, um, we should get into regulating, you know, groups of, of people getting together and flying their airplanes up and down runways. But you don't need an air boss for that either. So I, yeah. I don't know. It, it just struck me as as interesting um, that uh, there wasn't any certification yeah. to be an air boss. Yeah. Well, I, I, it comes for me. It comes down to this: you'd be trying to fix a problem with no demonstrable occurrences. I, I, it's a problem without a, it's a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, as Jeb, as Jack was talking about, the uh, the people that we've met at, at, at 
this is at small shows too, like when chapter EAA chapter eighty eight here in Wichita has its annual Independence Day weekend fly in. Uh, there's not an air show per se, but there are some flight line activities. There's some demonstration stuff, some rides provided. And the guy that coordinates all that stuff got that job because he'd done it under somebody else in the EAA chapter for years before that. Uh, there's a very high awareness of safety culture among these guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, and But I can see why this would be disturbing to the NTSB uh, uh, board members in particular because in their world, you think of how things operate in those terms. If that's a critical job, how do they get trained? Who qualifies and how do they get picked? Uh, and it's one of those tribal things that I think aviation's really pretty good at overall. I haven't been to Reno in uh, a long time, but uh, I'm, I'm seriously considering how I, how I might manage to, to go to Reno this year to the air races, uh, both because I haven't been there in a long time and it would be cool to, to see it, and, and secondly as sort of a, a show of support. Um, that uh, that uh, There'll be no lack of that. Yeah. Yeah, I so. seriously doubt that there'll be any lack of show of, of support for uh, continuing Reno as usual because, uh, and and that's among the sponsors and racers, and the spectators, uh, and the hangers-on and the media. Uh, you know, if there was one thing out of this accident that had some history to be aware of, it was the erratic performance of a Mustang loaded a certain way under certain flight circumstances that was known all the way back during World War II, but it wasn't taught, apparently. Guys learned about it in the field. Uh, That's a hell of a way to learn that with a really heavy fuel load and an FCG, which is going to last for like the first hour you're in the air, you you want to avoid pulling any high Gs at high speeds because the puppy will do what that airplane did in Reno. Finally, before we do shout-outs, Jeb turned me on to this video uh, earlier today. I hadn't actually seen it until just just prior. I actually didn't get to watch the entire nine minutes because we were running out of time before we started uh, the recording. Um, this is a video of a B-52 squadron in... Uh, in uh, uh, Minot, South Dakota, North Dakota, one of the Dakotas. Yeah, one of the Dakotas. Minot um, it's, a, it's basically an exercise where they had to launch the entire squadron, and it must be 10 or 12 I was, aircraft. I, I'm led to believe 15. 15 air, B-52 aircraft, um, all taking off one after the other after the other. I mean, they, they would each begin their takeoff roll not long after the one ahead of it was, you know, wheels up. I mean, it, 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 it was certainly not even, you know, uh, past the end of the runway when the when the next one started rolling. And uh, very, very impressive. Uh, it's, you know, um, th- these are big airplanes, boy, you know. And, oh, yeah. And they, it's, it was interesting. The very first one, when it started its takeoff roll, it seemed to be going so slow that I wondered if he was in fact going to take off. I'm thinking, you know, maybe they're not actually going to take off. Part of the drill is just roll down and taxi off. But I, I think it must be an optical illusion that the airplanes are so big that it doesn't look like they're going very fast. That's part of it. The other part of it, the first airplane in the in the stick, as it were, 
uh, held his brakes and ran his engines up. So there was a lot of black smoke coming out behind him before he started moving. Yeah. So that had, you know, that kind of added to the illusion, I think, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the first one. The subsequent ones, uh, the camera, I don't know, maybe the camera work was a little bit better or, or whatever, but it, the camera work is actually pretty good yeah. because it got the start of it, every each aircraft's takeoff roll to when it lifted off and started its gear retraction and, and was climbing out. And then the camera panned back, and the one, the next one was, was rolling. You yeah. Know, it was like... And it just went on. Yeah, I know, and on. on and on and, and on. And, on. and I, you know, admittedly, these are big airplanes and not quite so susceptible to this kind of thing. But I'm thinking the wake turbulence has gotten get, got to be getting pretty hairy towards the you know tenth or eleventh of these airplanes. They're, they're as susceptible as anything. Else. Yeah, and uh, um, I would swear that a bunch of them were doing this funny little kind of little bit of a left roll um, before they took off. As they were rolling down the runway, it almost looked like they did a little I bit. Of, I saw saw that too. I think there's two things going on. There was one of them. About halfway through the video, um, wagged his wing. Yes, I, that was that's. That, I saw that one too. That yeah, was, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, but I noticed it almost each and every one of them. Now, what I think part of that is there might have been you know a little bit of a cross from the left. Didn't there, it? Didn't appear to be all that windy. Um, but what I think you're also seeing is on the ground with no air flowing under them, those wings droop. Yeah, and as the airplane accelerates, and as the air as the wing starts to generate oh, lift, uh-huh. it flexes upward, and I think that's what you're seeing also, if not totally. Could be. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, cool video. You got to check it out. Um, and, and as I commented to Jeb as I was watching it here a, a little while ago, um, a lot of kerosene was burned that day. Man, you know, it's you got like 15 of these B-52s. Each have eight jet engines, and they aren't the most efficient gen- engines in the world, I would imagine. And so, you know, a lot of fuel was burned that day, you know, in the name of freedom. But, <laughs> but if you're going to watch this video, turn up the speakers. Well, and standing off the end of a runway at Wright-Patterson years ago, watching one of these puppies take off and fly over. And it's like, man, eight turbojets just screaming. Mm-hmm. No wonder I'm losing my hearing. Uh, but, the other thing is that you, you notice it in the takeoff shots here, these things don't really pitch up no. at all. No, they yeah. levitate. Yep. They yeah. just... Lift off. You, you can see when the when the when the planes go past the camera and are in profile that there's uh, I wouldn't call it pronounced, but there's certainly a positive angle of attack. Yeah, I think the, is, I was looking for that. Really slight. I, yeah. I have a vague recollection of reading at some point that part of the reason why these B-52s don't rotate it has to do with the orientation of this main gear because it's not like you know. L- wheels lined up side by side they've got one one group of wheels forward and one group of wheels aft and apparently there was some deal where and this is just my vague recollection maybe a listener can explain this to us or one of you guys can but uh that because they set on this kind of forward and aft main gear it it can't rotate really because i can certainly see a scenario where you drag the tail fairly easily that too you know if if you look if you and anybody who's been around a B-52 close up on a static display or something like that, the wings on these things are just massive. And uh, 
more to the point, the flaps on these things are massive. And you blow enough air over this thing, it's going to fly. So you don't yeah. need a whole lot of angle of attack. Right. And, and okay, you lose an engine on takeoff. You have the dreaded seven-engine department. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to borrow the old joke, you know. But <laughs> There's the wing rock. There's the wing rock. Right. But, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Buck Turgeson, thank you. Yeah. Where, wherever you are. <laughs> no, no, here's my question. Here's my question. Uh, B-52, Fugly? Um, they call it the buff. Oh, yeah, I know they do. They call it the buff. Big, big ugly, fat, fat fellow. Fellow. Flying fellow. F thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fellow. Yeah, fellow. Big, ugly, flying fellow. Yeah, right. No, big, ugly, fat fellow. Oh, okay. I, I've heard different different accounts of what the two Fs stand for, and we haven't said one of them yet. Um, but... Uh, one particular one yet. Anyways, um, it, it's not the most attractive airplane in the world, but uh, it's... It's not. Um, but it's made in America, so damn it. It's no, a, it's not the most attractive joking, airplane in the world. Joking, joking. And if you look at, you look at the, the current operation standard in a B-52, compare that with the earlier models, um, and know how much they've been modified over the years, and are still, you know, yeah, uh, doing doing duty. Um, when did B-52s first come into operation? Fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah nearly as old as Dave. Sixties. And these, some of these airplanes you see and go out of here could might have been built here in Wichita because uh-huh. Boeing built forty yeah. sevens and fifty twos here. And I guess they're all older than the guys flying them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have been since their problems retired. Guys and girls. That's right, yeah. Shout-outs. What do we got here? David, uh, somebody. I don't know. I'm not even going to try and order this list. Who wants to go first? Who's got a shout-out? I'll, I'll real quickly, but not because uh, um, it's not deserved or, or earned, but uh, to Dave Whitman and to uh, Ray Walters, uh, two of my neighbors here, uh, who... Uh, Helped me with with a long term project and and were there to see it come to fruition, and uh, just thank both of them for their their support, especially Dave Whitman, uh, and uh, for their friendship. Very nice, there. good guys. I've met them, David. Oh, let's see. How about we give a shout out uh, and a thankful farewell to Bill Eikoff, who uh, has been the chairman of Sun and Fun Inc. For about 28 years, uh, and they, he and his wife Susie have been a big part of that event since the late 70s. Um, Bill retired from the gig. New chairman's been appointed. Uh, the show will go on. Uh, a lot of changes at Sun and Fun this last year. Yep. Uh, a lot of changes. Uh, our buddy John Burton moved over to the museum. Uh, they got lights, lean out as uh, the new uh, president, uh, and now Bill Eikhoff's gone, and a gentleman named Bob Knight, who's been a big part of the show for a long time as well, has taken Mr. Eikhoff's place as uh, chairman of the board. So uh, look forward to seeing all of you down there come March. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this new guy, by all accounts, this new guy is a good guy, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to bring myself to call him Lights. That's his. That's his. Uh, you know, that's his code name. That's his handle. That's, that's what his, everybody. That's what everybody seems to call him. Uh, they do. It's just. It seems. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be very normal. You know, 
in the same way we call you what we call you, I guess. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Anyways, all right, other shout-outs. What do you got? Oh, I want a shout-out. Um, I won't give you the long spiel. I'll just reference you to what we talked about last week regarding um, the uh, uh, Stop Online Piracy Act and the Protect IP Act um, that are bills that are currently going through uh, in the U.S. Congress um, that we believe are, are atrociously bad bills and will damage, if not destroy, the Internet as we know it today. We urge you to learn more about these two bills, and we hope that you will contact your representatives and tell them you opposed these two bills. SOPA, SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Act, and the Protect IP Act. That's the uh, two, the House and the Senate bills that will theoretically get merged if these were to pass. Bad things, oppose them, please. Um, but one way, one way or the other, educate yourself about them and, and, and speak out. Other shout-outs? Real quick and dirty, uh, some friends of mine in England uh, helped stage two big general aviation expositions uh, every year, one in England, one in Germany for the continent. Uh, there'll be a link with the show notes. Uh, but uh, this is these are shows you can actually fly into as like a civilian pilot. Uh, see some of the stuff you'd see at Oshkosh. Uh, go to some seminars. Aero Expo, Aero Expo UK in, uh, in in Cywell Aerodrome in England in May. And I believe the other one is in June uh, in Bitburgen, Germany. Uh, if you're living and flying in that market and you hadn't heard about it, you might want to check it out. Excellent. Anything else, cool. Jeb? No. Nope, nope. Okay. Time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the net? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com, uh, AEA.net I'm occasionally on, as well as AvWeb.com. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Dave, where can people find you on the net? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, and a couple of places that you can only know about if you've gotten off a double secret probation. Jack Hodgson is a private pilot, freelance writer, and new media producer. Jack, where can people find you on the net? You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Make time stand still for yourself. Go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFN. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. 
Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.